and we're back with episode three of EPL State of Mind. We had a little bit of a break this weekend. No real EPL action, but there was the Carabao Cup as well as the FA Cup, which led to a lot of exciting games. We're not going to touch too much on that. We're going to keep all of our conversations kind of EPL Premier League related. But a lot of the interesting games that happened this week, and I wanted to bring up an interesting encounter that happened this weekend, actually. So a lot of you who don't know, I work in construction, and every once in a while, I have to work on a Saturday for my project. So Sean, I think you'll really get a kick out of this one based off of the conversation and the intro we had last week when we were talking about our viewership and where most of them are from. So I'm, I'm leaving the job site Saturday, probably around 4 o'clock, totally exhausted, don't want to do anything. I hail a cab. I'm headed towards my girlfriend's apartment. And I'm just, I'm exhausted. I don't want to say anything. Don't want to do anything. I'm sitting there probably six minutes through the taxi cab ride, eyes shut. And all of a sudden I hear on the radio, uh, Erickson almost puts one away. And obviously I'm a fiend for EPL. So I sit straight up. I don't normally talk to my ca taxi cab drivers. But I say, oh, are you, you listening to the Man U game? And he goes, oh yeah, I'm a big Man U fan, yada, yada, yada. So we talk for probably about the whole entire ride, which is like a 10, 15 minute cab ride going across town. And I'm talking to him like, well, how'd you get so into soccer? And he goes, you know what? Everyone by my country loves it. It's always an exciting thing. We don't have football. We don't have baseball. So soccer is a beautiful game there. And we we're having a really good conversation about Man U and, and all the troubles they've had in the season. So I'm like, oh, well, where are you from? And not only is Ghana the number one listener outside of the United States for us, I just can't avoid them. So Kareem, the taxi driver from Ghana, and I had a fantastic 10 to 15 minute conversation. So Kareem, I told you I'd give you a shout out. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, I appreciate it. Let me know what you think. And uh, it was a, a 10 out of 10 taxi ride from that and made my day. So Ghana still showing up strong for EPL state of mind. Seriously, shout out to all my all my brothers and sisters in Accra. That is awesome. Dude. That is, uh, that's so cool. Did did you plug the pod? Did you gotta plug the pod? Oh yeah, I did. I I, oh, I yeah. told them literally. You and all your your native countrymen are actually the second <laughs> second most listeners for the EPL pod. So Thank I'm you. hoping that Kareem is, is listening. And if you are Kareem, shoot me a message or something like that. I would love to get you on here. But this that was great. So th that's my little intro for. For the third episode of EPL State of Mind, I thought everyone would kind of like a little uh, insight into my life and my daily talkings of my taxi driver conversations. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, this week, it's only going to be Sean and I. Kyle is out studying. He is uh, doing the world of finance. So he's got some classes and studying he's got to do so that he can support our horrible betting hobbits, habits and uh, the EPL podcast once we take off. We need some uh, donations from him. So very important that he gets that under wraps. But we're excited, Sean and I, to bring you episode three. We're going to go ahead and get into it. Some good uh, segments for everyone today. So as always, we like to bring you guys a little bit of a hot news segment, whether that's in the EPL or we try to get one or two outside. But a lot of exciting news this week in the EPL, not only because we are literally from right now about 24 hours away from the closing of the winter transfer window. And again, one of the most exciting winter transfer windows I think I've ever seen. But one team keeps popping up around this winter transfer window, not necessarily for a good thing, but they keep showing up, and that is Everton. 
So we've had a bit of a debate going on here whether or not it should have been Daesh who was just anointed the new, uh, I guess, derelegator of Everton, <laughs> opposed to one who we've known and loved from his tenure at Leeds, and that's uh, Bilasa. So I don't know a huge history about the playing styles that these two uh, you know, coaches kind of did, so I'm leaning on Sean, you on this one. You're kind of the playmaker uh, guru over here. I know Dyche, uh, he really was only with Burnley for his tenure uh, before that was over at Watford, but why does he become a good fit for the relegation battle of, of Everton right now? Why is he going to be the saving grace? If you look at the way that Burnley played the last, well, pretty much his entire tenure there, um, you can count on three different things. You can count on four, four, fucking two formation as, <laughs> as, Bre- as Brexit wanted. You can count on defensive solidity, and you can count on effort. And the two things, actually, you could say all three have been missing at Everton. They don't have a consistent formation, and they haven't had one for several years. Um, They don't play organized defensively. They concede a lot of sloppy goals, and they don't play with passion or discipline, in my opinion. And I think Dyche, those are things that he will make, you know, must-haves, non-negotiables, if you're not competing, if you're not, you know, being defensively responsible, you're out. Um, and and the reason why I do th- I do like this this hiring uh, for for Everton is he does have some experience with a few of the guys on, on Everton's roster. Um, he's coached Michael Keane, the center back. He's coached James Tarkowski, the center back, and then also the young winger Dwight McNeil. Um, so he has some baseline knowledge of a few of the guys that he's going to be working with. Um, and I just think in terms of style of play. His style, um, you know, defensive solidity, structure, um, and then also intensity will help generate more points than Bielsa, which is more of like a free-flowing, high-press, high-intensity style. But I think for a guy like Bielsa, you need time to really adjust. And unfortunately for Everton, they don't have that time right now. Uh, they're Like you said, we're sitting bottom of the, at the Premier League table. I think Dice will come in and, and can get them results right away. Um, and, and I think there's going to be buy-in from, from Everton fans as well, which is obviously going to be an issue just because he's a former Everton player. Um, and like I said, he's, he plays, you know, his teams play really hard for him. And, you know, the, it, it, as a bottom-of-the-table team, you love to see, you know, guys going, going, the, going the extra mile, you know, fighting for every yard. And I think that's how, how his teams always play. Um, so I think there'll be a turnaround there in some respects. I don't know if it'll be enough to keep him up, but I, I do think it's the right appointment. I mean, I think it's coming at the right time. You couldn't wait any longer. It needed to be done. You got to feel bad for Frank Lampard. I know Kyle would be crying right now because he was a huge fan of him. But Dyche is, is he's a not Burnley, but he's a burly man. And he is definitely <laughs> someone who will strike the fear of God into you if something goes awry in his playing formation. I do remember just seeing earlier today a video of when he was exiting a, a Liverpool uh, derby game with him and didn't shake hands with Klopp or anything like that, just went straight down the tunnel, brings a little bit of aggravation, brings a little bit of chutzpah into the, into the team, I think, exactly when they need to. Unfortunately for me, I shouldn't feel nervous, but the fact that they're playing Arsenal – and possibly have a new manager bounce going for him at Gooderson Park is, you know, it's a difficult park to play at. You mentioned that before. I don't think I should really be concerned, but because I'm always waiting for the worst possible scenario to happen as an Arsenal fan, I'm not going into this game feeling warm and fuzzy, but I, it should be it should be a lock for the Gunners, hopefully. But 
Again, I think Arsenal, I'm sorry, I think Everton is is making a good step in the right direction. I know we talked about how Bilasa would have been more of a buildup. He wanted to coach the U21 team before actually coming to the first team. So I thought that was a really interesting way. But like you said, Everton can't afford the time right now. So a bit of good news if you're a, you're a toffee. A bit of more hot news if you're not a toffee, um, which is, a, I'm sorry, if you are a toffee, it's worse news again, and that is the loan signing for the Spurs for Arno Danjuma. And if everyone realizes or was following this saga, he was in line and ready to sign papers to join Everton uh, because he was a big Frank Lampard fan like Kyle. Now, as soon as he got wind of the sacking of Frank Lampard, he just did a complete 180, said, yeah, no, it sounds like Spurs might be the better place to go to. And Spurs swooped in there and took him right up. Uh, It looks like we have, I don't have the actual signing value of it, uh, but I know that Spurs have currently finalized that. He actually got his debut in FA Cup game, which was a 3-0 win against Preston. Uh, Son had a brace which was nice to see him cooking again, a beautiful first goal. And then even though Arno Danjuma's first goal and his only goal came in when he was subbed after the 80th minute, wasn't a pretty one, it gets him on the scoreboard and everyone likes to see a player score on their debut. So I think that's a great step if you're a Tottenham fan as well. Um, and we'll see what he has to offer. Moving from, unless you have anything to share about uh, Danjuma, I think we can move on to the next one, which is also bad news again for the Toffees, uh, and that is the signing to Newcastle for $40 million of Anthony Gordon, uh, one of Everton's academy boys, one of their young guns, and country and hometown player. So I don't know enough about Anthony Gordon to justify the outrageous fee of $40 million for the 21-year-old who hasn't done much. But, Sean, I know you know a little bit about his playing style and kind of why we're seeing this possibly as a future for, for Newcastle. Yeah, I think there's definitely some uh, level of this being, you know, a future signing. He had a really productive season last year for Everton. I think he was one of their best players, and it really hasn't worked out for him as well this year. But he also nearly moved to Chelsea in the summer. There's clearly something about him. Very aggressive, straightforward, um, you know, kind of a typical Scouse footballer. Very good on the ball, plays with a lot of aggressiveness. You know, good bit of passion and kind of a shit house, um, which will fit. He'll fit in seamlessly at Newcastle because that's basically become the Atletico Madrid of uh, north, the north northeast of England. Uh, um, but yeah, it should be. It should definitely be interesting. Only three goals this year. He had five five goals and four assists last year. Um, I think the really big takeaway for me is just wild how there's no loyalty in, in this sport whatsoever, man. This guy. Is like I said, he's a scouser. He's born and raised in Liverpool. Came up through the Everton Academy, and still, man, he was not happy and, and forces his way out in in somewhat of a, an ugly saga. You know, stop showing up for training for the last week, um, and Newcastle gets it done. So where the Toffees lose out, the Magpies pick up. Yeah, you know it. It it is crazy how many players you were were seeing the power of the player, right? where if they don't want to be at this club anymore, they will make your club's team a living hell. And it, it, it is tough. I mean, we saw it with even with uh, Leandro Trossard a little bit. He, he was subbed out. He wasn't played. He said, I'm out. Luckily for everyone, his contract was coming to a close anyway. So they're like, okay, you know, we're doing really well at Brighton. We don't need you. And then even on Brighton right now, 
Uh, we have Casado, who even supposedly is forcing or trying to force a move for himself. Sure. So there's a lot of players out there with, you know, not necessarily loyalty problems, but I would say that it's a bit of a loyalty problem. But for if you're a Toffee fan, I know one of my one of my good buddies, one of my best friends is a Toffee fan for life. And uh, I believe not to quote him for Bain, but I said, I think he believed he said he would personally drive Gordon to Newcastle. If that's <laughs> the case. So I think the time uh, of hurt feelings is over, and it's now let's see what happens for him for the future. And I think it's a couple people are going to be a little salty, hoping for like the worst for him. It is tough to go from your childhood club that you were born and raised, and to completely kind of just being like, I don't want nothing to do with you when it gets hard. So that's I can understand that. But we shall see if all this positive and negative movement for Everton helps them. I know they're trying to bring in a couple people. I believe they. They got one, but we'll talk about that later uh, in our last segment. So for now, we're going to pop onto one of our favorite parts of the hot news is Weston McKenney. You saw him in the World Cup. You saw him playing on Juve. As we spoke about last week, Juve got that 15-point deduction. So they're obviously trying to do a little bit of a fire sale, help their financials out, see what they can do there. And what did they do? They went out and talked to Leeds, and Leeds now has... A, uh, a loan for Westman County for the remainder of the season with a option to buy at the end of the season into the summer. So we are slowly seeing the team that is already very heavily linked to the United States men's national team actually become the United States of Leeds. <laughs> so I think that's super excited. So if you haven't picked an English Premier League team yet and you are from the States, this one is not a bad one to go. Yeah, it's going to be a long ride for you, but you got the U.S. players. What do you think about this move, Sean? Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, uh, from a from a U.S. men's national team perspective, it's great to see. Now you have three guys who could potentially be starting in the midfield in the 2026 World Cup. Um, all playing together between Adams, Aronson, and now Weston McKinney. Um, he plays with a lot of energy. He loves to get back. You know, I would say you know your very typical box to box midfielder, very energetic. You know, fits well into the high pressing system that Leeds runs. Um, and you know, we'll get on the end of headers and you know get into the box for crosses and things like that. Um, and my concern with him, and it's kind of similar with with Tyler Adams, is I don't know if he's a great creator. Um, I think Leeds does try to use their press to create a lot of, of the opportunities or, or counter press, if you will, to press, you know, get the ball back and then counter attack. Um, I do really hope this one works out though, because it would be, um, you know, just awesome to see, like I said, three, three potential American midfielders starting together. Um, and just to clarify the terms of the deal, uh, McKenney needs to play in 10 Premier League matches and Leeds needs to stay up in order for the terms to be binding. So if he's injured or if Leeds, you know, falls off a little bit and ends up getting relegated, then he'll be returning back to Juve. Uh, but I do expect that this one will be finalized and, and he'll, um, you know, become a permanent Leeds player in the summer. I think all of us would be very excited to see that injury with McKenney has been a concern. Uh, before the World Cup, he got a little bit of a scare playing in a Champions League game with Juve. So he does have a bit of a history with unfortunate injuries. Uh, it seems to be the case with a couple of our main stars for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, but it is exciting to see him there. If he's healthy, he'll definitely get the 10 games in. And right now, as as a Leeds uh, follower, 
I would say you're okay. I think you'll probably stay above, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. So you might you want to get a little lucky, or if you're feeling a little bit uh, dicey, go out in there and buy yourself a Weston McKenney jersey. So that'd be a, I think that's a worthwhile investment. I think it would be really cool if we kept the U.S. role going and we saw Pulisic move from Chelsea so we can see him a little bit more. Whether or not he decides to go to the U.S. of L, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we could, uh, we could see a possible movement for them. Two days left or actually 24 hours left in the, in the transfer window, so I don't know if we'll have any hopes for uh, Pulisic there. But one transfer that took, I think, us all by surprise was Cancelo from Man City to Bayern Munich on a loan to buy deal. I have no idea what happened here. I didn't see this coming at all. Bayern Munich has been struggling the past four games with uh, they've drawn four of the last four, which I feel like you have to try to do to actually happen, and especially for Bayern Munich is an incredible situation they have. So I don't know what they're trying to do, maybe bring some more life to it. But Sean, I, I, were you as surprised as I was seeing that news this morning? Yeah. So you have to keep in mind, since the World Cup, um, City's been using this kid, Rico Lewis, quite a bit at left back. Mm-hmm. Um, Cancelo did not have the best World Cup by any means, but this is definitely surprising to see someone who, if you polled everyone maybe 12 months ago, you know who's, one, who's the five best fullbacks in the Premier League, I think every single person would have Joao Cancelo on their list. Um, and now he's, you know, in that time period, he's already been kind of pushed out by, by a youth product, you know, youth product of City's Academy um, and now being, you know, sold on to Bayern. It is it is very, very shocking to me, for sure. I don't know if this was the right move during a title contention that you're, you're Man City and you're kind of already pretty low on your depth on your right and your left back. I mean, you sold Zinchenko which is apparently someone who you've been trying to replace. And now you go ahead and you send out another one of your, your, your fullbacks. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here with City this year, but I don't know if that's the best move. But it's definitely exciting for Bayern, who needed some excitement. Um, so I think that might help them kind of get revitalized and make a more of a stampede for their typical first-place run. Totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bayern, just from their perspective, they definitely need, need a spark. Uh, they are still first in the table, but they're only one point ahead of Union Berlin, um, and they had four draws in their last four matches. So um, a spark, definitely an attacking player with Cancelo, probably one of the best um, creators from the fullback position in the world. So um, should give their offense a little bit of a spark, but I do think he, and I said this to you before, he is the player that football Twitter thinks Trent is uh, because that man cannot defend to save his life. <laughs> Well, that man who can't defend, who plays right back, would go on a full-blown transfer in the summer for $70 million if they so choose to buy him. So that's another large chunk of change. We're seeing a lot of big numbers being thrown around. I think having such a reputation as, as Cancelo does, I think that, that bill actually fits the name. On to the next signing that we have here is Pedro Porro. Signs with Spurs from Sporting Lisbon. So he was formerly right back, surprisingly, at Man City. And I know, Sean, you know a little bit more about this kind of wonder kid and, the, and kind of happened last minute. Spurs were led to believe that the deal was going down. They hit a, a bit of a hiccup yesterday and today, and they quickly squashed that because they want to see more guys come in. So, Sean, what's, what's this guy's deal? Are we excited to see Poro on the spuds? What's going on? 
Yeah, so um, like you mentioned, he was uh, owned by Manchester City for the last three years, but he never actually appeared for City. Uh, I believe they bought him from Girona in La Liga, um, and then loaned him back out for two, uh, one year in La Liga and then two with Sporting Lisbon, who then uh, purchased him on a permanent deal in the summer. Very pacey, exciting right back, Spanish international. I I believe he has two goals and six assists in, in Liga Noche in the Portuguese league for Lisbon. Um, we, we've talked about it a couple times already. I know we've kind of crapped on Spurs, and I'm sorry Spurs fans for doing that. I know you're not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but I, do, I definitely think they needed an upgrade over Emerson Royale at right back. So it looks like Pedro Porro could be that guy. Yeah, we, we were talking about the defensive need. For Spurs, because if you look at the teams who have scored the most goals this year, it is Man City, Arsenal, and Spurs. And if you can score that many goals, you typically are in a much better position. But if your defense has so much holes in it, it makes it a very, very difficult life for you. So that's kind of the problem and the the pain that the Spurs have been going through this year. So who knows if they'll pull a rabbit out of their head. I think we still, you know, we'll touch on it later, but they still need one position in particular that we'll, we'll talk about. All right. A lot of exciting hot news going out there, and I can only imagine if you have not followed any of the transfer news yet, tonight and tomorrow is going to be the day to do so. Again, the winter transfer window does close tomorrow around 23 hours from today, uh, which is, you know, in the U.S. time is around 740 right now. So we got about 24 hours left until the window closes. So. With that being said, we're going to move on to our second segment, which talks about some successful transfers, some subtractable fees, and all that good stuff from one of our favorite, non-favorite teams, uh, the Brighton Seagulls. We'll be right back. So what's the saying that we're doing now, Sean? Damn War Seagull, War Seagull, damn. What, what is this? <laughs> so, in honor of the Auburn Tigers slogan, uh, it's War Damn Seagull. I do have to say, though, I'm saying that through uh, some pain and some tears seeing Brighton knock out Liverpool in the FA Cup uh, only a couple weeks after they just absolutely ravaged us in the Premier mm. League. And that sneaky bastard, Matoma. With an Who's this guy? We haven't been finish. talking about him, right? We've never mentioned his name before. I know, right? It's like we're talking about this guy every week, and he gives us a different reason to do it. Uh, scores an absolute beauty in stoppage time with two of the most delicate touches, uh, one to settle it, one to chip it around Joe Gomez, and a third to finish. But, yeah, it hurts uh, seeing Liverpool <laughs> crash out of both the domestic cups. Um, and we have a date with Real Madrid three weeks away. Um, so that'll be a nice drubbing, and I'll be uh, on the sidewalk. <laughs> it, it, it's it's tough, and it's I can only imagine what you're feeling like because I've never felt such a high of last season, possibly going for the the quadruple, right? Getting both of the FA and the Carabao, the Premiership, and then Champions League, and then completely doing a 180 and being eliminated already from both domestic cups. Like you said, Champions League doesn't look too super pretty, but hey, anything can happen. And then obviously the premiership is a bit out of reach, but you think that's it's yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'll be optimistic for you, but I don't think it's happening. Uh, so this is kind of just like, remember how this feels, Sean, because this is how I have felt for so, so long. And it's not even like I, I had, when I first became an Arsenal fan, I don't, I never saw 
a, a, a trophy being held besides the last FA Cup. What was it, 2020, 2021 season? Yeah. Uh, right before COVID hit. So it's I feel your pain, man. <laughs> but who doesn't feel pain right now and are flying high are the Seagulls. Brighton, um, you said it before. You said it again. Their talent in recruitment is outrageous. And we've put together a little segment here, which is just about the Brighton and their successful transfers, their successful recruitment, and where they have led them to today. And we have a list of five or six players that I think everyone knows now, whether they knew them before Brighton or whether they know them now, it's probably because of Brighton. So just going through our generic intro right here is Moises Casado has been linked heavily this week with almost every big team, but more specifically Arsenal. Um, I know our hot take here is would this transfer one be one of the greatest successful findings and selling in EPL history, definitely in Brighton's history. He mentioned on his Twitter or his Instagram uh, when he was trying to oust himself out of Brighton that he <laughs> would be honored bringing Brighton their largest transfer fee in history. And that is true. He would be going for no less than, I believe, $80 million to Arsenal if they're going to pull something together. So hot take. If Arsenal is able to pull this transfer off from Brighton, not only is it the most expensive transfer from Brighton, but would it seal or possibly seal the deal for some doubts of Arsenal with their depth in that central defensive midfield or in just their in the general race to the title? Yeah, and, and you know I've said pretty much every single episode I still think City wins league. I think if Arsenal gets this done, it puts them over the top. To add someone of Casado's quality uh, to that midfield would be huge. He doesn't have to hit the ground running right away, but he gives you an incredible amount of insurance for Partey or Xhaka uh, being injured and you not having to turn to the Egyptian Pirlo or uh, Sambi Lukanga, who is dreadful. I think I'm pretty sure they actually paid for somebody else with the same name because there's no way Arsenal spent that much money on Sambi Lukanga two years ago and he's that this bad. It's tough. He had Sambi. I do like Sambi. If you if you if you saw the Arsenal All or Nothing, there was a great clip in there where I believe it's Emil Smith Rowe. Um, Sambi was very upset about his playing time, and Emil Smith Rowe goes, "What do you do? You think you're the only player that is good and and doesn't have the playing time? Something along those lines." Right. And I think Sambi took that to heart. And I do. I think Sambi performed very well. He's still very young. I think he needs to go out for a loan spell and come back. He needs the playing time. He needs the experience. But we can't even go to Egyptian Pirlo because he's still injured. So right. we literally were flat flat back there. So I do agree with the statement that someone is needed back there because it is a struggle. And Partey left the FA Cup game at halftime this past week because of a rib injury. Uh, he did go through scans and everything came back clear. So I, I was very happy and I, I stopped my crying. But just to show everyone how important of a factor Thomas Party is to the Arsenal team. We've lost four games this year. Uh, we've lost to PSV, which Thomas Party was not featured for the whole game. We lost to Brighton, Brighton once in the Carabao Cup, which he was not featured. Uh, we lost to Man U during the regular Premier League, which he was not featured for the full 90. And this most recent game, against Man City, where he was taken out of halftime. Those are our four losses. Each one had a gapping hole in the middle of the field that was party-sized. Yeah. 
So that is a massive concern. I would love to see this deal get done. Do I think that we need to rush a deal at minute or last minute for 70, $80 million with a couple other options that we've been discussing? I don't think so. Uh, but just to go through a couple other options that I think it's, we have Declan Rice becoming available. He is tested, tried and true. West Ham is ready to get rid of him for a, for a hefty fee. He's been talking about Arsenal highly. I think that's a great option. If this doesn't work out, I think we hold out for that. Just more recently, Jorginho became available, and we're linked to Jorginho, who is tried and true, a great Italian international player who is one of the best who hasn't been getting the time I think he deserves. So I think that might be a great pickup, and I think he'll come at a discount. Chelsea's throwing out all these all this cash. They're spending like crazy, replacing everybody. I don't think... Todd Bowley would bat an eye if he were to lose Jorginho for a, a discounted rate. So I think that'd be great. And and I, I just don't see I just don't see Casado leaving Brighton. I think Brighton's gonna hold their ground here. I think our efforts with the last twenty four hours is served elsewhere. Yeah. Uh could be. I, I do think, you know, the fact that he has Premier League experience and he's played so well this year would be huge for Arsenal, but I also do see the point that Brighton wants to hold on to him. I mean, they're in a position right now where they'll get European football for the first time in the history of that fucking small club that owns my team, <laughs> owns my team, but they're tiny. They're still minuscule, but, you know, this would be a huge opportunity for them if they if they were able to, you know, to convert this season into European football. It could be a great step forward for them, um, mm-hmm. but it's crazy. And, and just going back to what we were talking about initially – this is a guy they bought, they bought from Independiente in the Ecuadorian First League for 5 million euros. And now we're talking about him being sold for 80 million just two years yep. later. Yep. It's incredible. It's extremely impressive. And, you know, Brighton, if you're in the hunt for money, I don't think this is the way you find it. Because just think about the revenue that's going to be coming your way if you make European football. It's going to exceed that 80 million price tag that you're going to throw on this guy, the airtime that you'll have in European football, the extra time from t- the sales from tickets, um, just the attraction of more players that you're going to have. It, it's it's a long run here. So I think the savvy business move is exactly what they're going at. Um, if they could get the actual buy-in from the player now, that's different. But I think it's the right move to keep them. I'm a little bummed about that, but I think I'll get over it. And just to kind of feed off of what you were saying about that incredible profit that they would turn on this, I mean, going down the line here, the next Siegel that exited the club, I think at the current, he might be the current um, transfer record fee for Brighton, and that's Marco Carella, who last year, I remember seeing him play with his, uh, oh, who's the, the Steeler player, um, Palomalu, yeah, Palomalu, yeah, the the Palomalu esque hair just everywhere going going bonkers. This was one of the best I felt. Uh, he's a well, he's a right back or he's a left back. He's left a left, back. yeah, left wing back essentially now for Chelsea, who unfortunately has had a very very underwhelming year. Um, he was Brighton's player of the year last year. Uh, he is not quite yet on the Spanish roster. I don't believe he, he has been featured on an international cap just yet. But uh, that's a fact check I'll have to do for later. <laughs> but originally, originally he was brought to Brighton in the 21-22 season from Getafe in La Liga. They bought him for 18 million euros. 
And just this past summer, they sold him for 65.3 million euros. So if you're Brighton, that's a great, great accomplishment in your transfer fee belt. So I think they dodged a bullet there. Would he still be successful at Brighton? I think so. But who they have on left back right now is, I'm going to butcher this one too. So we're going to play a fun drinking game every time I butcher someone's (laughs) last name. The viewers and the listeners can have a sip of whiskey or something like that. But uh, Estunad? Estunad? Uh, no, Estu- you are Estu- you're stupid. You're Estunad, but it's Estupinian. <laughs> Estupinian, who uh, who has been a, a pretty pacey, pretty incredible left back form this year so far. So I think uh, they definitely won out on that. Uh, and he's Ecuadorian, I believe, right? He played yes. for the Ecuador national team, had a very solid uh, World Cup. Obviously, everyone's going to remember the first game of the World Cup beating Qatar. I think we were all pretty excited about that. So I think they made out with the left back. Uh, going, I think you want to talk about this guy because he's your absolute favorite at the moment. But what a find and what a future sale this guy will be. You know what? I'm going to hate. I'm, I'm throwing the gauntlet down. My arch nemesis is Karu Matoma. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you brought him to my attention, and ever since then, he's just been haunting my dreams. He's been skinning my boy Trent like a cat, like a serial killer <laughs> skins a cat. But they bought him for 3 million euros uh, in 21 22, and I mean, he's got to be worth six times that by now. Um, with five goals and an assist since the World Cup, he's been unbelievable, and again, just goes to the to the point Brighton had the best recruitment and scouting staff in the Premier League. I don't even think it's close. Uh, it's it, They just keep bringing up players. And if you look at the leagues that they're coming from, they are not your typical, oh, this guy came from FC Porto. This guy was, you know, on Villarreal. This guy, they're not coming from the large clubs or the second tier large clubs that we would see a lot of people come from. It's not like your, uh, it's not like Darwin Nunez. It's not like uh, Diaz. It's not like a lot of the players that, that already have, or Gapco. I guess you really like those second tier Portuguese fans. And, but they're, they're all coming from kind of under the radar, big bang for their buck. And it's really impressive. I don't know another team like that. And I, I've heard a lot of these players from Brighton because they're playing on big names now. And one of those is going to be Ben White. And I love Ben White. I told you, I think he's top three right backs in the league right now. And considering the fact that he was a center back come the last, for, throughout the majority of his career, he did play a little uh, bit of a midfielder, a central defensive midfielder, I think for the early days with South, Southampton and Brighton. But just to go through his records, he was brought to Brighton on a free transfer from Southampton in 14-15 season. And then he was sold to the Gunners last summer for 58.5 million euros, which I'll have to check. But I think for a defensive back, other than um, who was the Chelsea man that came from us, who I don't really care for anymore, which is why I blocked his name. Um, Lu- Luez, whatever the fuck is his name? David I can't even remember it. Yeah, David Luiz, whatever. He, he's Ben White is definitely one of the greatest under radar purchases that we've made in the defensive back area. And I think that's incredible. I mean, Ben White as a free transfer for Southampton sold for 58 at straight profit. And he was the championship's best young player. He won the best young player award in 19 to 20 season with Leeds, and then returned to Brighton the year after that. So I think that's incredible. Another one, uh, Leandro Trussard, 
I think Arsenal is just poaching all of Brighton's best players. I think that might be what it is. But Leandro Trossard was brought into Brighton in the 1920 season from KRC Genk, uh, which is in the Belgium first tier division. So that is the Jupiler Pro League. I don't know if you pronounce the J in, I, in Belgium. You know what? This is so one of those I, that times one, that I, I can't know. even make fun of you because I don't know how I, to pronounce it either. So I'm just happy I didn't say us. like, I'm just glad I didn't say Ju- Ju- Juniper or something like that <laughs> or, or Jupiter. I don't know. But uh, he was bought for 15.5 million euros from the Belgium squad and was told sold to Arsenal for 25. That's the add-ons included. Uh, for 25 million euros so that's a 10 million dollar 10 million euro profit right there and he's had seven goals three assists and was arguably one of the probably brian's best player in the beginning of the year and uh i think it just goes to show that you hit the nail on the head here sean i think brighton has quite the recruitment team i'm excited to see where everything goes i'm excited to see where this team finishes and see what else they can bring into the into the roster Well, in honor of the transfer window closing, I think we're going to see what last-minute deals will possibly squeak through at minute number 1,000,000,999 and really try to figure out what every team right now, gun to your head, who are you going to bring in at the last minute? So I'm going to do a quick rapid fire to our boy, Sean. And Sean, I want you to give us a little lowdown of who do you think is needed on the team or what they're missing. So we're going to go top bottom, top to bottom this time, instead of the reverse. And we're going to start with, with Arsenal. We kind of touched upon it a little bit, but let's get your quick final rapid fires. Yeah, I think I think we touched on it before, and it, it's the obvious needed Arsenal. It's midfield depth. They need someone that can come in and, and you know, sub Partey, sub uh, Xhaka, and still, you know, be at that same level of, of performance. Um, someone with EPL experience would be ideal, which is why I think Casado is the guy, but it could be Jorginho as well. I think either of those would be really savvy signings. I agree. As an Arsenal fan, I think a, a little bit more of a, a security blanket there is what's needed. We don't have Kyle with us this week, but Man City's next on the list. What Besides more oil money and a spark to get that going, what do they need? Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, just in, maybe an oil embargo internationally so they could charge more, um, so they could have more <laughs> money for, for some ridiculous transfer. I don't think they're going to bring anybody in. If they do, it'll be like a fullback to replace Cancelo, but... I don't. I don't think they really need anything. They're they're the most loaded squad in the world. Absolutely. Newcastle getting up there. They brought someone in already, Anthony Gordon. Who else is going to help him out? Because obviously he's not going to get the playing time right now. Yeah, I don't. I think he'll he'll have some some impact. Obviously, he has Premier League experience, but uh, with the way Almi runs played this year, and then San Maximan on the other side, I think he'll be more of a bench rotation option. I think they could use a creative midfielder. I think that'll probably come in the summer, especially if they do get top four um, with the funding from Champions League. They could bring in someone big, but I, I think it'll be a you know they could use some someone with a, that to play that killer pass in the midfield. Just a little extra oomph than Bruno that they have right now. I think they were looking for a, a Bruno Fernandez, and they got Bruno Grimish, and uh, <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Next one we have is Man U. We, I think we know this one already. Uh, it's a bit of a Band-Aid, but who, who would they want to bring in right now? 
Yeah, I think Stryker um, obviously is the one. Uh, you you talked about it last week. Veghorst is very much a band-aid short-term solution. I think they could target someone that um, Ten Hogs worked with in the past, which would be Sebastian Haller. Uh, he's at Borussia Dortmund. I think he could be a potential signing in the summer. Uh, big classic target man. Uh, and then, like I said, has the experience with Ten Hag. Very good. All right. Um, I won't call them the spuds this time, but Spurs, who are you looking for there? I know there's a long list that they probably need, and they haven't really done much. Uh, any center back? Just anyone who's not Eric Dyer, uh, someone who didn't <laughs> vote for Brexit, could be would be a good pick. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I do want to get off course here for a second because there's a great video online, and, I, and it's a spoof video, but I think anyone in center back pretty much brings this up to me, and I, and I think you might know the video I'm saying where it's a penalty kick shootout, and it's a university kind of shootout, and they have a goalie in the net, and the goalie blocks every single shot with his face, and it's incredible. And at one point, the goalie's trying to crawl off the field and they put a chair down for him. And I think just a chair would work in the back line of the Spurs right now. So if, if you're listening and you know what video I'm looking or I'm referencing, it's a, it's a killer one. You'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to share it with all your friends. But Spurs, okay, center back. Next, we got Fulham. Yeah, Fulham. Uh, it's a, it's a been a really good team, really good season this, for them so far. I would say maybe defensive midfield, uh, just some, some more solidity there, but... You know, they've, they've done really well. Um, I do just want to shout out that guy, Vinicius, who uh, who scored in the game when they beat Chelsea a couple weeks ago. Um, showed that he could kind of step in if Mitrovic is, is struggling for fitness or form. Yep. Uh, Mitrovic was injured in the beginning of the year, and I think it took a little bit of a, of a, the wind out of their sail, so to speak. So I think that's a great point. We talked about already. I don't know if they need anybody. I don't know who they would bring, but this would be Brighton. Yeah, they'll probably some sign some kid from like the East Jabib uh, Bumblefuck League uh, for like three hundred grand, and then sell him to Chelsea or Arsenal for uh, like three hundred million in two years. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't even tell them what they need; they already know. Uh, I know they, they signed some kid today uh, from AIK in Sweden for like two million. Um, so I'm looking forward to him being worth a hundred million pounds by uh, this time, 2025. The way the fees are going, it might be five months for that much. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we have Brentford, the bees. They're buzzing, but they could uh, be in a bit of trouble here. Yeah, I think uh, backup for Ivan Tony is the, is the logical move. Uh, we've touched on it a couple of times. He does have those betting allegations hanging over his head, and um, he did struggle for fitness for a couple of games. Uh, it didn't matter when they kick the crap out of Liverpool, but to be honest, Liverpool might lose to St. Joseph's School of the Blind. Um, so I would say a backup striker would be good for them. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I would agree with that. So going to a very uh, St. Joseph's School for the Blind-esque team right now, Liverpool, <laughs> what, do, what do we have for them? Uh, what don't we need? But I'll, I'll start in midfield. It's the clear problem. Um, Jordan Henderson, I yelled at him, uh, make me pull my hair out a couple weeks ago. It's the, he's got. It's time to go, blood. It's time to glow. <laughs> in the words of uh, in the words of Claude, it's time to go. So, anyways, central midfield. I think Bayetic has done pretty well in the holding. I think they need uh, someone who just plays with a lot of energy, can bring some dynamism and, and dribbling to the midfield, and someone who 
play, plays a little bit more composure than uh, Huffball Henderson. Yeah, you need you need someone that is going to string the connecting pass from your back line to your forwards, and I think that's been the biggest issue with you guys is that there's no one to actually create that smooth transition like you have had. Yep. Chelsea, I don't know if we can consider them needing anyone because I think they might have everyone on the face <laughs> of the earth now, and they actually have to cut back. But who do they need, so to speak, and how godly, how much is that going to cost them? Well, it's definitely going to cost them $100 million because it's either going to be Moises Caicedo, who we talked about before, or Enzo Fernandez. Um, it has not been confirmed at time of recording, but if if it does get confirmed over the night, we look like idiots. Oh, well. But uh, Enzo Fernandez, I think, would be a huge addition for them. Really, really exciting player. Good on the ball. Creates a lot of chances. Um, I, I would look, keep an eye out from him from Benfica. Yeah, absolutely. And that was an early winter transfer window. But even before that started, they were teasing the idea of that. And Benfica actually came out and said, you know, it's not even polite. It's rude. It's pathetic that you guys are even considering throwing this bag of cash in front of their face. And right now, Benfica might be grabbing that bag. Austin Villa we have next. I know, you know, their left winger currently Coutinho hasn't worked out really with them under Emery. And Emery just coming in and great coach. Um, ex-Arsenal coach, what, what do you see him adding to his repertoire for, you know, saving here? I think it could be a winger. Uh, there's a guy, Sam Samuel Chukwueze, uh, he, who he coached at Villarreal. Um, he's got eight goals and seven assists in 24 matches across all comps for Villarreal this year. Uh, I think he could be a potential signing f- for, for Emery, and I think he'd do well. Very good. This one I like a lot. I know you're a huge Crystal Palace fan. So what would help uh, Patrick Vieira and uh, CP kind of make it back? Yeah, they definitely need need upgrades in the midfield. Uh, Gallagher, or excuse me, Gallagher uh, potentially uh, being available. Connor, Connor Gallagher, he was there on loan last year. And, uh, you know, if Enzo Fernandez and or Moises Caicedo end up at Chelsea, uh, he could be very much dispensable. I think that would be a huge boon for Palace. And they might, you know... Go all the way up and finish 12th place. Oh, wait. They always do. <laughs> yes, uh, I think we sketched them in there already for 12, five years ago. So then we have Forrest coming online here. You have two things noted here, a goalkeeper and a center back. Yeah, goalkeeper, uh, they're rumored to be interested in Kaylor Navas from PSG. Uh, he's won, He obviously won four Champions Leagues with Real Madrid. Um, really, you know, just quality goalie would give him a lot of veteran experience. Um, center back, I just think they could use some more solidity. Um, and I also wanted to mention they brought in the baldest man in the Premier League, John Joe Shelby. Um, <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Yes, that uh, the highlights at uh, or the the heavy floodgate lights at Newcastle Stadium was definitely reflecting into a lot of people's eyes. I think that's why they were you know the cleanest sheets for a while. Um, but I think it's a great move from them. I think it solidifies back there. Uh, coming next in line here is Leicester City. Yep, Leicester City. Uh, we had Winger written down, and then they went out and signed a Winger today. Uh, they got Tete on loan from Shakhtar Donetsk, your favorite club in the world. Worst um, team ever. It turns out the only way to get someone uh, to Leicester right now is if you get them out of a war-torn country. Um, so I guess they'll be looking for like Yemen or the D- Democratic Republic of Congo for their next signings. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people who want to enter another war zone that is Leicester City. Headed into the United States of Leeds. Uh, so Leeds United, box-to-box midfielder. They got Weston McKenney. Do they need someone else? What do we got? 
Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think they need necessarily one this window, but I could see, you know, them them bringing a creative midfielder, someone who just gives a different dimension. I think um, McKenny, Aronson, Adams, all are very energetic, uh, and if you just have someone who maybe plays a little bit more composure, more poise, um, that can pull the strings a little bit, it would complement those other three skill sets well. Now, the next one, I thought they did a pretty good job, which was West Ham, uh, West Ham United. I thought they brought in Danny Ings, which would have been an exciting signing. But obviously, with his injury, do they need another striker here, or is there another area that they need? Yeah, striker definitely could be could be a place they go. I think they they should go uh, for a center back, though. I think that would help bring them some solidity um, to their back end. Agreed. Wolves. I, one of your least favorite teams this season. I think no one really is a massive fan of them, but what, what does Wolves need from you? How about someone who could score? That would be a good yeah. starting point for me. Erling Holland, Harry Kane, Ivan Tony, and Alexander Mitrovic all have scored more goals in this Premier League season than the entire Wolves squad combined with 12 goals. 12. This was, this was a massive problem for them last year. I mentioned it last week that they had a solid defense. They had one of the lowest conceding records, and they just couldn't find the back of the net. So I don't know what, what they're looking at. I think they're just going to look into the Portuguese pool like they typically do, but I think they need, they need some help up top. Definitely. Bournemouth, the Cherries. Yeah. Um, I think just to help stay up, I think uh, maybe a veteran center back, someone who's played in the, in the prem before and come in and be solid. I don't know if there's someone in the championship that they have their eye on. Um, there's not a lot in the way of rumors um, coming out of Bournemouth, but I, I think they probably could use one. Um, they did sign a, a – is it Semenyo? Uh, I believe so. You would know better than me. Yeah, I'm not sure. That one I might have butchered, and I apologize, because he is Ghanaian, and uh, just want to give, again, a shout-out to all of our Ghanaian listeners. You're the real MVP. Absolutely. They bought him for 9 mil. So then Everton, we have striker, 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 and a destroyer in the midfield. Yeah, I think uh, the way that, that Deich likes to play, he needs two strikers up top. You have Mope, you have Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um Mopay struggled for form. Calvert-Lewin struggled for fitness and form. So there's got to be somebody else in there. I think, you know, possible. It's an outside chance just because I don't know if he's Premier League quality anymore at his age. But Ashley Barnes could be potential reunion with Sean Dyche. Um, he's like the classic slab head striker. Just throw it up there. Throw his big-ass noggin on it and knock it down for, you know, for a winger to run in behind on. Um, but I definitely think they need a striker. And then we talked about it a little bit before um, with Palace. Connor Gallagher would be a great signing for Everton. That was the rumor that they put in a bid for him today. But I think that's contingent on uh, either a, a Caicedo or Fernandez ending up at, at Chelsea. Absolutely. I think Connor would be a great addition, kind of Crystal Palace-esque, but definitely a downgrade from where he was with Crystal Palace last year. But I think he would help any team out, and he deserves the playing time. All right, last but not least uh, is Southampton. Southampton, I, I could see being a right back. Um, the guy I, I targeted was Jed Spence. Uh, then I found out just a few minutes ago that he actually signed with Ren on loan in, in uh, Ligue 1 in France. Um, so that right back to spot. And the other one is Stryker. Um, they're linked to Vitinha from Ligue 1 and then Paul Anawachu from Genk in Belgium. I think both of them could be a potential fit. 
Um, Che Adams is just not Premier League quality as a striker. Um, And I do also want to say Onuachu would be a good fit for Everton uh, as a really tall, strong target man. Absolutely. Well, Sean, I think you deserve a little glass of water and a fresh breath of air. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. That was was quite the impressive rapid-fire rundown of the 20 teams and what they need possibly in the last minute of the transfer window if it was headed by you. So I appreciate that. We're going to hop into our closing statements next and get ready for an exciting weekend of the return of the EPL. I'm super excited for the return of the English Premier League this weekend. A few really exciting games. Unfortunately, the game that I will be watching will be at 7.30 in the morning on Saturday, but I'll be watching a lot of them, and I hope you guys are too. So right here from the EPL State of Mind, our games to watch this weekend are Tottenham versus Man City. This is a replay of a game that just happened, what, two weeks ago, I believe, three weeks ago without the break, and it was a 4-2 Man City comeback, one for all of our memories, and uh, it was a 2-0 lead at half for Spurs. Uh, So let's see who are now playing at home. This is at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to do their Man City magic that they did last year, but that's a game to watch. And the other one that we have here is Chelsea versus Fulham. So another London derby. And this one's incredible because Fulham right now, we're sitting, I believe, they're in sixth place. And if Chelsea were to beat Fulham, they would go from sitting currently at 10th up to sixth place, provided that the teams in between don't also take a victory. So this is a potential nice swing for Chelsea, who have spent a lot of money, who I'm hoping just for the sport of football will start Madrid on the left, and we can see him play a little bit more and see how exciting that could be. So those are my two games to watch for this week. And I promised you last week that we would get a wrap-up of Kyle's lock, and that was Brighton over Leicester. That was a draw. So his first pick, his first lock of the week was an L. So luckily for you, and all of my betting wisdom is now shared upon you, my lock of the weekend for this weekend is going to be Brentford over Southampton. This one, right now, the bookies have it as minus 110 for Brentford. I think they're still buzzing. I think Southampton is obviously struggling, being in dead last. I think this is going to get you the most value, and I think this one's a lock. I was thinking about Liverpool, but then I looked at Sean's expression over the weekend on his face, and I realized that I can't do anything that with regarding Liverpool. So actually, if it was really smart of me, I would say Liverpool so that they would win, so you would be happy, Sean. But I'm going with, <laughs> with Brentford. Cool. Yeah, uh, always a pleasure. Looking forward to uh, getting, getting some EPL games back on the slate and hopefully... Um, know your betting trends are reversed and you actually end up winning this one this could be the start of something beautiful this could be this would be great so we'll see who takes the lead with the locks of the week i will say that sean uh the first week he did have a really really good one he picked uh was it brentford over bournemouth or was it bournemouth over yeah it was brentford over bournemouth it was Brentford over Bournemouth. So we're sticking with the bees on this week, and I'll go with bees over Southampton. Please bet responsibly, and please continue watching our sports podcast for EPL State of Mind. Always appreciate the listen, the feedback, and your time. So thank you, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. <laughs>